Now, again, I wouldn't contest this if, if the PE firm had a, a good way of making sure and, and leveling all of those things to normalize those distribution curves. That's what we work on all the time uh, within iCode. And so it was just the case that they were under uh, under paying about 5% before the acquisition. That would that would uh, that would make a lot of sense. Hello and welcome to the Grossville Podcast on iCode Media. Today I wanted to discuss a study that Dr. Kyle Cludy sent me about private equity. It's interesting to me because it shows some of what has been predicted related to the practice acquisition of private equity firms. And I'll put some other of my thoughts at the end as well. And I'll put the original article in today's show notes. But as always, please enjoy the episode, subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. Emerging presbyopes and emetropic presbyopes can be tricky. These patients want and need additional help at near, but they can be resistant to solutions that create even mild distance blur. The MyDay multifocal lens has been great for our presbyopic patients. It allows those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily and more comfortably. And we've had this lens for long enough now that we have been able to see the simple and how simple the adaptation can be when adjusting from lower ad designs to higher ad designs. When prescribing MyDay contact lenses, you can feel confident about your environmental impact because for every MyDay contact lens sold in the United States, Cooper Vision's partner, Plastic Blank, collects and converts an equal amount of ocean-bound plastic through their global network. MyDay multifocal contact lenses will provide your patients with a great quality of vision and comfortable lens wearing experience, all while making a difference in our environment. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your Cooper Vision representative to get started. As you know, patients with vitreous floaters are often frustrated by their symptoms. The challenge as clinicians is to offer solutions for our patients for vitreous floaters that are effective. But more often than not, the options of YAG vitreolysis and vitrectomy are not practical because the benefits don't outweigh the risks. That's where Vitreous Health from MacuHealth comes into play. Previously on the podcast, I've discussed the FLIES study with Dr. John Nolan, and the bottom line is that I can be confident prescribing this for my patients with floaters because I can tell them a large randomized placebo-controlled trial found that after six months of supplementation with Vitreous Health, Floaters were reduced in size by approximately 30%, and 70% of patients had an improvement in their symptoms. Vitreous Health has been great for my patients, and we really feel like we have a viable option to treat patients with vitreous floaters now that we didn't have before. If you're not utilizing Vitreous Health for your patients, reach out to your Macchia Health representative now. So this study was published in Ophthalmology, and it is entitled Association of Private Equity Firm Acquisition of Ophthalmology Practices Within Medicare Spending and Utilization of Ophthalmology Services. And so let's get into the background of this study. You know, the study examined the impact of PE firms acquiring ophthalmology practices, obviously. PE firms, as you know, are entities that invest money in various businesses, including healthcare practices. The researchers wanted to understand how these acquisitions might affect patient care and just general healthcare spending, but also specifically related to ophthalmology spending. 
It was a retrospective cohort study, which means it looked at past data to draw conclusions about what occurred. They examined 123 ophthalmology practices that were acquired by PE firms between the year 2017 and 2018, and they compared these practices to 20,000, a little bit over 20,000 practices that were never acquired by PE firms. And this was would allow them to assess the impact of those acquisitions. And the researchers used data from Medicare fee-for-service claims from 2012 to 2019. So the main findings were that in general, there was an increased number of patients seen by optometrists in those clinics. So that's that's really interesting. We're going to talk about that later on. But, but my overall perspective, well, I'll hold off on my overall perspective of what that means uh, toward the end, because I think that's that is an important finding. So after being acquired by PE firms, ophthalmology practice experienced a significant increase in the number of patients seen by optometrists about 24% more each quarter. This suggests that optometrists and PE-acquired practices were seeing a large number of unique patients, and there was a steady number of patients still seen by optometrists. And so in contrast to, opt- uh, opto- op- in contrast to the optometrist, there were no significant change in the number of patients seen by ophthalmologists following the acquisition. So the opt- um the important finding here in my perspective is that the ophthalmologists were still seeing kind of the normal patient load, but then there was this increased patient load that needed to be covered, and probably the schedules were more easily filled by the optometrists. And some of that could be comprehensive eye care. You've heard me talk a lot about comprehensive eye care. And if there are uh, more opportunities in patient schedules to fill those up within the same infrastructure, the optometrists are going to get are going to get those patients. There was an increase in spending per patient, again, which has been one of the things that has been speculated, but the study found that spending per patient increased by about 5% after the PE acquisition, which means that on average, more money was spent on each each patient's eye care after the practices were acquired. And that's Medicare dollars. So whether or not the practices were undercharging or undercoding, uh, before they were acquired by the private equity firm, that could re- be related to why those patients' visits were more expensive. Now, again, I wouldn't contest this if if the PE firm had a, a good way of making sure and, and leveling all of those things to normalize those distribution curves. That's what we work on all the time uh, within iCode. And so it was just the case that they were under uh, under paying about 5% before the acquisition, that would that would uh, that would make a lot of sense. I think, however, what you're going to see as we get to some more of this other um, data that was analyzed, analyzed within the study, you're going to see why that that spending increased. So there was uh, obviously changes in spending on clinician services. So this next one is going to show you that they probably didn't actually increase fees or uh, increase the the level of codes that were being used because spending on clinician services included those by both optometrists and ophthalmologists decreased slightly. So fee-for-services, clinician services decreased slightly by about 1.6%. So obviously there was a shift in increased numbers from Medicare to the practice, but a reduction in clinician services. So there was some changes in ancillary services and injections. And here's the really uh, big piece. Uh, first, ancillary services, so like, you know, other services that would be, uh, you know, related to office visits. So things like 
uh, photos, OCTs, visual fields decreased by about 7.6%, but spending on intravitreal injections increased significantly, about 25%. So there's your increase overall. So everything decreases, but an increase in intravitreal injections. There was also a notable increase in the type of injection. So again, here's what we see. The study examined those types of injections being administered, and there was a 74% increase in the in the use of ranibizumab, uh, which is a more expensive medication, and a 12.9% decrease in uh, bevacizumab, which is obviously a less expensive medication. So the um, event study conducted in the research consistently showed increases in the more expensive medications and decreases in the less expensive medications after PE acquisitions, which obviously suggests a shift in the choice of medications used for intravitreal injections, probably by the entire PE group. They probably decided to, my suspicion is, um, purchase, you know, with, which pur with purchasing power, a another medication that medication is up to their the pe groups uh, ability to control and they could have potentially made that to make sure that the there was a better outcome for patients and also it delivered more revenue to their practice secondarily so we can't know why they made those decisions but you know you can see what happens across the board and so you know the the study conductors right the study researchers concluded that overall the study suggests that when ophthalmology practices are acquired by private equity firms more patients tend to see optometrists which i believe is a good thing better for the patients there is an increase in the use of expensive intravitreal injections or more expensive intravitreal injections. Spending on ancillary services decreases, spending on clinicians. And actually, that's kind of interesting because it may be the case that, that optometrists may be ordering less tests than other more expensive clinicians. It's hard to know exactly. Um, but that's an interesting finding. S uh, spending on clinician services remains relatively stable, and the overall effect on utilization and total spending was not significant. So uh, it's important to note that not all of these findings re you know, reached statistical significant, and there is some variability on the overall impact of every single individual PE acquisition, but this is what they found within those 123 practices. So as far as my analysis is concerned, I think the bottom line is that more generalized providers are utilized more heavily for what they're best at, and the more specialized providers are utilized for what they're best at. So that's kind of a cost of, you know, cost savings for private equity firms. The other thing that's that is important from an independent practice standpoint, what I can kind of gain or garner from this is that if we're trying to be more efficient in our practices, we can certainly learn about this for ours, right? What types of things am I doing in my practice that could be done by someone else that may be not quite as expensive in my practice? So, you know, uh, pushing ourselves from an independent practice standpoint to do more um, data analysis and less data acquisition. Also, don't, and that may not be purely for the benefit of seeing more bodies in the chair. It actually may be you could spend more time face-to-face -face with that patient, giving them better individualized care.
we've been partnering with Essilor Luxottica 360 for a while now, and it helps us in three areas. First, they use social media campaigns to highlight products that we believe in and prescribe to our patients, and they deliver those patients back to our practice. Second, Essilor Luxottica 360 enhances our patient experience through staff training tools that help us simplify and streamline the way we communicate about our products and services. Lastly, but for my practice most importantly, it helps us make good business decisions related to our optical offerings. We will systematically and objectively analyze what our patients are purchasing and what they like and removing products that our patients are not really using or not really drawn to. This, along with additional rebates and immediate savings, helps us continue to deliver high-quality products and services to our patients and keeps our practice resilient. Check out Essilor Luxottica 360 for yourself by visiting EssilorLuxottica360.com. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients, and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education, for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. So let me finalize this by saying there's a little bit more detailed analysis of this conclusion, you know, individual analysis of, of my impression of this conclusion. So let me hit these five points. First, the optometrist visits increase when private equity firms acquired ophthalmology practices. More patients tend to see optometrists. This is likely because PE-owned practices might emphasize more routine eye exams. That's another thought that that could be occurring, which are often more uh, or more often conducted by optometrists. Uh, There is a significant increase in more expensive intravitreal injections after acquisitions. The question I would be curious about is, are there other increases or are there other more expensive procedures that are done? This study didn't show that. Could a decrease in ancillary services also indicate changes in the types of services offered by by the PE firms or by the management of those PE firms within the practices? You know, stable spending on clinician services including those by optometrists, probably stable. There wasn't a significant change. And the overall utilization of spending is that it was slightly higher. So I think the bottom line for this study is, you know, when I think about private equity firms, I've done a number of episodes related to private equity firms. And 
you know, I don't think that individual practice sells. I, I can't ever blame an optometrist for what they're doing with their practice toward the end of it, who they sell it to, when they sell it to, to uh, another doctor. I think you've heard me probably talk about that, you know, oftentimes what happens is a doctor decides he doesn't want to own the practice anymore or she doesn't want to own the practice anymore. And they didn't leave a lot of time to sort of transition that to another individual provider. And the challenge then occurs when that individual provider is trying to come up with resources to purchase that practice and they don't really have great resources and the doctor that is selling really isn't ready to carry that loan when they can offload the practice to somebody else. So I don't blame the individual doctors. Um, this study really looked at nothing about patient experience or patient, um, you know, patient satisfaction with the services that were provided. So I can't really draw any conclusions there. My suspicion is, is that the further away that the owner of the practice gets from how that practice runs, the more challenging it is to monitor and manage patient expectations and patient satisfaction. And while a lot of those PE firms will probably pay a lot of attention to that, there is probably nobody better to know what the pulse of the practice is, where the expenses of the practice is, unless than the individual doctor in that practice. And when that individual doctor may or may not have a financial tie to the practice, to the well-being of the practice, the community the practice is in, because they were removed someplace else, I think that's going to have some sort of impact. Again, it wasn't dealt specifically within this study, but I think it's an interesting thing to consider. So, you know, I want to hear what you guys have to say. I want, please give some comments in the review section. You can post on our Facebook page. I think it's interesting. I think the conversation around private equity has sort of cooled off a little bit, but the evaluation of what occurs in those private equity practices is now just going to start coming to light as more of these studies occur. So I hope this was helpful. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.